Lord Jesus, we thank you, God. We thank you for the fact that you have given us life. You have given us today. And we can walk in your presence. We can worship you. Lord, and I pray right now that as we go through your word, that it would be your word, God, that would be living and active in our hearts. God, speak to us, Lord, through the Holy Spirit. We understand this is impossible by men, but with you all things are possible. Jesus, so we are, we're pleading with you. Make it so today and right now. In your name, Jesus, amen. amen. All right. Let's open up our Bibles to Luke chapter 14. <clears throat> I'm sorry if I'm losing my voice. Luke chapter 14. <clears throat> While I was jogging yesterday, I got chased by three dogs, two of them being German shepherds. I'm like, oh, no, they'll keep their distance. No, they, they started running after me, so. Um, and uh, so I had to literally, like, yell at them, uh, and they ran away. So that's a life hack. If you're ever being chased by dogs, it works. Um, and if the dog's not scared of you, then you should be really, really scared of <laughs> and run away. Uh, yeah, it's intense. So, <clears throat> I think that roar uh, took a little bit of my voice. So, Luke chapter 14, you guys all there? Yeah? Luke 14, let's start with verse 26. I'll read just 26 and 27, and then we'll go through... Um, We'll read 28 through 33 later. <clears throat> if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, this is Jesus speaking, and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. In verse 27, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. This is amazing. Jesus uses the word hate. Hate is one of those, it's one of the most powerful emotions, most powerful negative words that we can use, right? Like, what, what's, you know, like that's probably the most painful thing you can tell somebody. Like, I hate you. And now, don't take this out of context. And, you know, when you come home uh, on Tuesday and your parents ask you, what did you learn in camp? like, I have to hate you, right? I have to hate my brother, my sister. I have to hate all of you guys. Jesus said that. Well, Jesus did say that, but what does Jesus mean by that? Because we read that Jesus also said that the second greatest commandment is what? To love your neighbor. How much should you love your neighbor? As yourself, right? So we're, Jesus commands us to love one another, but on the other hand, he tells us that if we are going to follow him, we need to hate our brothers, our sisters, our mother, our father, our wives, our children, even our own life. So what does he mean by this? What Jesus means is he's not saying literally you need to hate them. What he's saying is that your love for me, for Jesus, has to be so great. Guys, listen to this. It has to be so great that if you were to compare it with the love that you have for the people that are closest to you, even your love for your own self, if you put them side by side, the love for Jesus has to be so 
big that your love for others and yourself would be considered as hatred when you compare the two together. Does that make sense, guys? So it's about relative. And what Jesus is, what, what, in other words, like if you were to rephrase what Jesus said, what he's saying is that he is not supposed to be just another person in your life that you love. You love your mom, you love your dad, you love your brother, your sister, your friends. You know, these are all people that you love and you care about deeply. What Jesus is saying, I'm not going to be, I cannot be just one among many. What he's saying is that you need to love me above all else by a mile. Jesus is supposed to be in a category all by himself, guys. And no one else is supposed to even come close in your love for them. But for so many people today, Jesus is just on par with their kids, with their family, with their friends. You know, like, yeah, I, you, you stop someone on the street or even at church. Do you love Jesus? Yeah, I love Jesus. I love Jesus, I love my friends, I love my family, you know, friends, family, Jesus, right? You know, we got those shirts and everything. Jesus is not okay with that. Jesus is saying, if you want to follow me, if you want to be a real disciple of me, if you want to take your faith seriously, you have to love me so much that everything else just takes the bottom shelf. What he's saying is if you pick, imagine you had all the people you love in your life, whoever that is, and you have Jesus on the other hand. And if you had to pick, like, I will never see these people ever again, but I will have Jesus. Or I will never see Jesus ever again, but I will have all these people that I love. Which one would you pick? It's good. Because what Jesus says is that if you pick anyone else above him, you cannot be his disciple. You cannot follow him. And he makes this point very, very clear. Jesus is not okay. He's not content. He's not happy to be just another like little add-on onto your life. You guys, does that make sense? Like, here's your life. You got your friends, your family, this, that. And, you know, Jesus is just another little piece that you add onto your life. He expects his disciples to prioritize him over everyone and everything in this life. No exceptions. And what I want you guys to do, the most important thing that you have to do today as you're listening to this, as we're watching the skit, as we're hearing God's word, I want you to be honest with your own self. Just in your own heart. I'm not going to ask you to write this down. I'm not going to ask you to share this with anybody. I just want you to be honest in your own heart. Don't be afraid of being honest. And ask yourself, do I truly love Jesus more than all of my closest people? Am I really ready to give all of that up if Jesus asks me for that? Guys, just be honest in your own hearts. Don't share this with anybody. I'm not asking you. Just be honest. If I had to pick between them or him, who would it 
be. And I want you to admit the truth in your heart because I want you to know where you stand with Jesus. I don't want you to be deceived. I don't want you to lie to yourself like, no, 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 I do love, no, I, I love, I love Jesus. So yeah, yeah, I do. I don't want you to think that if you don't actually love him, if you don't actually prioritize him above everyone and everything else in your life. So that you can know whether you are his disciple or not. And I know, guys, I know this topic is heavy. And um, it, it gets heavier. Because verse 27, Jesus says, Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. He's saying the same exact thing he just said in verse 26, but from a different angle. He's saying, if you don't bear your own cross, you cannot be my disciple. Do you guys know what a cross was used for back in the day? For what? Crucifixion, right? Crucifixion. Guys, the cross was literally a tool to kill people. That was the purpose of it. It's like Jesus, if he were to say this today, it's like take your own like, you know, rope that they're going to hang you with and follow me. Or take your own electric chair and follow me. That's what he's saying. Take that thing that they're going to use to kill you with and follow me. He's saying you be ready to die. Like you will need to be ready to die and come follow me. What Jesus is saying is be ready to die to yourself. In other words, we can no longer live for our own desires, our own goals, dreams, hopes. Oh, I really want this or that. Whatever it is, our wishes. Jesus is saying, no, you need to die to all of that. That means no. Just you deny all of that. You're dead to it. You, you don't even react to it. And you come follow me. And I am now your greatest priority. And I am the thing that matters most in your life. And you do what I tell you to do. You now live fully for glorifying me. Fully for pleasing me. And guys, this is true. Jesus' plan for us. And his desires for us. And his will for us is so much more important to our lives than our own desires. And so Jesus says you have to be ready to die to your natural desires. Luke 29, verse 23, a very similar verse. I'll just read it for you guys. Jesus says a couple of verses before, a couple of chapters before, he says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily. I love that word, daily. It's what Jesus is saying, when you follow me, if you want to be a true disciple of mine, this is not just something you do at camp for a week or for a day. Or No, you do this every single day for the rest of your life. And then you can be my disciple. If that's the way you live. Guys, we need to die to ourselves every single day. You wake up in the morning and you say, Jesus, I am dead to myself, to my goals, to my plans, to my wishes, to my dreams. And I'm alive to you. Lead me. Let me live for you and your glory. 
And Jesus says that if you can't do that, then you can't be his disciple. If every day you can't take that thing that will kill you, your own old self, your natural self, your selfish desires, if you're not going to put that to death every single day, you cannot be his disciple. So going back to Luke, I think it was, we were in 14, right? Let's read verses 28 through 32. He goes on. Again, he's talking about the same thing, but just from different angles. Verse 28. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, this is the second example, going out to encounter another king in war, will not first sit down and deliberate, that's talk with others, whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000. And if not, while the other one is still a great way off, he sends a delegation, so it's a group of people, and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, anyone of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. It's amazing that Jesus here is actually discouraging people from just jumping into following him. In a way, you could say Jesus is discouraging people from just like following him without counting the cost of following him. Jesus is not some sneaky salesperson that says, oh yeah, oh yeah, oh, I'll give you everything, it'll be great. Just sign here, just sign here on the dotted line. Okay, thank you. And then he doesn't care what happens. He doesn't care if the product works or not. You're not going to see him or hear from him. Jesus is not looking for that. Jesus is not looking for an easy yes. Jesus wants you to sit there. He wants you to count the cost. Can I build the tower? Do I have what it takes? Can I fight that war? Can, do, do I have what it takes? Am I ready to give up everything? Actually everything. Not some things, not most things, but everything. If you're ready, then follow Jesus. If you're not, Jesus says, you can't be my disciple. And he brings up those two analogies. One is building the tower, right? Tower takes a lot of material, you know, you need stone, you need wood, you need labor, right? You need to hire people to build that tower. He's saying, make sure you do all the math. Make sure you understand fully what it's going to cost you. I don't want you to just make a quick decision, you know, an emotional decision that you're going to be, you know, oh, wow, Jesus did a miracle. Oh, I want to follow him. Yeah, that's really cool. I want to follow. Jesus is not interested in that. Jesus wants people to understand that it's going to cost you everything. Or if you're going to battle, right? And there's 20,000 people, you've got 10,000. You've got to sit there, you've got to do the math. You're like, can we legitimately win this battle with 10,000 people? And if you think you can, do it. He says you have to count the cost. And then he ends in saying, therefore... Anyone of you who does not renounce all that he has. Renounce means say no to or deny all that he has cannot be my disciple. Yes, this is the Christ's way 
of saying, there is nothing off limits from me. There is nothing. If you choose to follow me, I can ask for anything from you, including your own life. There is no area of your life that you can hold back from me. Do you guys hear this? Do you guys hear this? That if you want to follow Jesus, there is no area of your life that you can hold back from Him. Or else you cannot truly be His disciple. And that's just the way God works, right? Maybe it's your friends. Maybe it's your phone. Maybe it's some app or some games or a hobby or a secret sin. Maybe it's money or education or your accomplishments in life or your career or your future career or a lifestyle or your comfort. Whatever it is, Jesus is saying you need to be ready to say goodbye to all of it completely, fully. If it's standing between you and following Jesus. As this is, this is heavy. Jesus does not want half-hearted followers. Jesus does not want 80% hearted followers or 90, 95, or even 99% followers. Jesus only takes 100% or zero. It's either all in or all out with Jesus Christ. End of story. And the question is, for all of us, are you ready for that? Be honest. Be honest, guys. Be honest with your own self. Are you ready to lay it all down at His feet and say, Lord, do what you want. I am fully, fully yours. Let's go on. And you might be sitting there, and you might be thinking, Peter, this is crazy. I didn't come to camp to say no to everything. I didn't come to camp to lose it all. This, is, this just sounds like a bad deal. I'm happy with what I have. And you know what? I don't blame you for thinking this way. Because that's the natural way of thinking. That's, that's the way we as humans think. We're, 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 you know, I might not have much, but I'm happy with what I have. And Jesus knew this as well. And so I'm going to show you, this is the cost of following Jesus. I'm going to show you a different side. Let's open up our Bibles to Matthew 13, verse 44. Matthew 13, verse Matthew 13, verse 44. <clears throat> Jesus gives us a parable. He says, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found, and he covered up, and then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. He's talking about a person that got saved, a person that decided to follow Jesus. And you know what the key phrase in this verse is, guys? The key phrase. In his joy. 
And we miss it. But the key phrase is, in his joy. Think about this man. This man, in his joy, in his happiness, went and sold everything that he has. Notice, it doesn't say, and he was forced to sell everything he had. Or he was tricked into selling everything he had. He was talked into selling everything he had. It doesn't say that. It says the complete opposite. In his joy, he went and sold everything. And now, as I think about this parable, I ask myself, what would it take for a person to joyfully sell all that they have? Like, what would it legitimately, like, think about you and your life, right? And all the things that you have and you own and maybe all your relationships. What would it take for you, let's just talk about stuff, like things, right? What would it take for you to sell all that you have in joy? Like, yes, I want to sell it. I want to get rid of it. What would it take, guys? Honest question. There's an answer to this. If what? What? Permanent youth. Permanent youth? So you're, you're, you're getting something, right? And that's an example. That's a great example, actually. When you're getting something in return that is so much better, right? Like having, being permanently young, permanently healthy and strong. Of course we'd sell all our stuff, right? Or if you were, let's say, if you sold all your stuff and someone told you, I'm going to buy all your stuff that you own for a billion dollars. Would you go and sell everything you have with joy? I know I would. Right? We'd run to our house. Just like post everything on Facebook Marketplace right away. Just garage sale, guys. You know, like 10 cents. You sell everything for 10 cents. And here, here's the money. Here's everything I own. Here's the money. So the only way that we can sell all that we have with joy is when we know or when we believe that what we're going to receive in return is a thousand times better. You guys follow me? Right? And the, the example that always comes to mind that I think of is Bitcoin. Right? Who here knows what Bitcoin is? Right? How much does Bitcoin cost right now? 30000 right? Used to be sixty. Now it's 30. Yeah, it's still a lot, right? Do you guys know that, let's say, I'm, you know, 12 years ago, whatever, uh, Bitcoin used to cost how much? Like five bucks, right? I mean, at one point it was like 50 cents, but five bucks. Yes. Five dollars, and today it's $20,000. That's... Five bucks is the cost of a bag of hot Cheetos today, right? For the, for the cost of a bag of hot Cheetos, 12 years ago, you could have bought something and it would have been worth $20,000 today. If you would have sold all that you had, or maybe all that your parents had, or you know whatever toys and cribs that you had at that time, and you bought, you used all that money to buy Bitcoin, you would have enough money to fill this whole room with bags of hot Cheetos, right? And more. You, so imagine, now imagine, someone like, it's, you know, 12 years ago, 
and again, I know you guys might have been really young at that point, but uh, imagine you weren't that young, right? You, you're, you're a current age, and someone comes from the future, and they're like, hey man, there's this crazy stuff, Bitcoin, it sounds like a scam, but it only costs five bucks right now, I guarantee you it's gonna cost 20,000, maybe it's 70,000 at one point. Just sell all that you have, just trust me, don't hold anything back, like your favorite stuff, everything just sell it. In fact, com- convince your parents to sell their house and, and, and have them convince their friends to also sell their house, to sell everything. Like, pick up all the change you can find in the house before you sell it, so you can buy as much Bitcoin as possible. You're like, because one day, it will be worth billions of dollars. And if you believe that, and you know that that's going to happen and that's going to be true, you're going to sell, you're going to let go of everything with joy. You're like, this is, the, this is the biggest, the best deal anyone has ever experienced in the history of the universe. Kings have never made deals this good. Because someone from the future just told you that this is going to be worth billions one day. I know that before we talked about the cost of following Jesus, and it sounds very heavy, but that's only when you think about the cost. The beginning, I talked about the cost. But you realize we don't follow Jesus just because the cost is great. We don't follow Jesus because of the cost. We follow Jesus because of the reward, because Jesus' worth is infinitely greater than anything we could experience or possess here on earth. That's why we follow Jesus, despite the fact that it will cost us everything. We don't follow Jesus because of the cost. We follow Him because of His infinite worth. And guys, I know we're all sad that we missed out on Bitcoin when it cost five bucks. But I want to tell you, there's something better than Bitcoin. This is true. Jesus. Jesus is a billion times better than a million Bitcoin. Jesus is the greatest investment, so to speak, for any human in the history of the world. If there's one thing that's worth selling everything for, It's Jesus Christ. He is truly, infinitely worthy, and he will bring so much more joy than all the Bitcoin in the world will never be able to bring. Jesus is that treasure in the field that the man found, and in his joy went and sold everything he had. Yes, it will cost you everything to acquire that treasure, to acquire Jesus And you need to sell everything that you own. But who cares? You're giving up something so small. Something so insignificant. Just so you could buy more of him. So to speak. It's totally worth it. Let's open with me to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3 starting with verse 8.
Philippians chapter 3, verse 8. This is Paul speaking about his life. He says, Indeed, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth, that means the great worth, of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. In other words, garbage. In order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Paul counted as everything, everything in his life as a loss. That means it's like everything in my life, everything that's great in my life, it's lost to me. It's like nothing. It's, I don't care about it. That's, in other words, that's what he's saying. Like, oh, you, you destroyed my car? I don't care. It's a loss to me. It doesn't matter. I'm not, I'm not sad over the fact that my car was just destroyed. But why is Paul able to count everything as loss? He answers it right away. Because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. In other words, he's saying because knowing Jesus Christ, me having that personal relationship with him is worth so much more. Christ is so much better and knowing him is worth losing everything in this life. Being in relationship with Jesus, knowing Him, being known by Him, surpasses all human relationships, guys. That real relationship with Jesus, and those of you that already have it, you already know this. That it surpasses all human relationships. It's not even a question, right? You know Christ, you're like, of course Christ is better than everyone. I love my wife. I love my daughter, but Christ is still better. He is infinitely better. Even the closest and sweetest and the most loving couple on earth, they do not share a love that is comparable with the love that we find between us and Jesus. How can they? Jesus is God, and we know that God is love. Literally, God is love itself. So we have a personal relationship with love, the real thing. And Jesus has made a sacrifice that far exceeds any sacrifice that any lover has ever made for their lover. Jesus' sacrifice blows all of that out of the water. So how can any human love come close? And be compared to the love that Jesus has for us. Jesus is better. Guys, Jesus is better. My question is, are you in his love? Have you experienced it? Have you, have you accepted it? Are you living it? Going on, Philippians 3. He suffered the loss of all things and he counts them as rubbish. As rubbish is kind of a British word 
for trash. Like garbage. Oh, she's okay. She's a little scared. Wait for the car. Rubbish. You guys know those big, big dumpsters? The big green ones, right? By the kitchen, yeah. How do they smell? Disgusting, right? Just little flies just flying around, you know, like, ugh. Like, makes you want to vomit. What Paul is saying, he's saying, all these things in my life, these things that I lost, these things that I gave up for the sake of Christ, I'm not, I'm not sitting here, like, sad, like, yeah, I made a decision to follow Jesus, but man, I really like my Pharisee friends that I used to hang out with. I really like being like the cool one in the group because I was like better than everybody else. And, you know, I was respected and I was esteemed. And, you know, like I might have been even the leader of Israel at one point. Like, <sighs> alas, I'm following Jesus now. Like I had to say no to all that stuff. It's so hard, you know, and, and, and I get whipped and I get beaten. I've got broken bones and I've got scars that have permanently damaged my back and my health is permanently ruined because I decided to follow Jesus. Like, I guess I've, I guess Jesus, you're still kind of worth it. That's not the way Paul thought. Paul said, I lost my health. I lost my status, I lost my family, my friends, all my relationships. And you know what, for me, in comparison to the worth of knowing Christ, that's like trash, smelly trash. I don't even want to go near there, I don't even want it back. Because what I have instead is so much better. He's not sitting there missing it. But the question is, why does he count it all as rubbish? There's a specific answer, and he answers it right away. Just keep reading with me. Verse 8 and 9. In order that I may gain Christ. He's saying, I count all of it as trash in order that I may gain Christ and may be found in him. Next question. Why is it important to gain Christ and to be found in him? What does that even mean? To gain Christ and to be found in Him. Like, I get that's something really good and spiritual, but what does that actually mean? What is Paul referring to? He gives us an answer right after that. He says, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God, not from the law, that depends on faith. In other words, he's saying, I count everything as trash. Everything I lost for the sake of Christ is trash in order that I might be saved. Because you see, we already talked about this, right? God is a righteous judge, right? And a righteous judge cannot let evil go unpunished. Imagine someone were to kill the person you love most. Just murder them in cold blood. And imagine they caught him, they bring him to trial, and he's standing there, and the judge says, I mean, you look like a good guy. You've done good things, right? I have, I have. 
Okay, I'm, you know, I'm going to let you go. I'm going to let you go. Would that be right of the judge to let him go? That judge would be evil. Because that judge would not have administered justice to the evil that was committed against you and your loved one. And God is more just than any human judge. And God will not let a single speck of evil go unnoticed and unpunished. So in order for us to be able to stand at that trial before the great white throne of God, where God sees everything through and through, and He remembers even the sins that we have long forgotten, the only way that we can stand before Him and not be condemned to an eternity in hell experiencing the wrath of God, the only way is if we are righteous, meaning we're fully clean, head to toe. And what Paul says is not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, meaning God has told us exactly the rules that we need to play by. That's the law. It says don't commit murder, don't steal, don't commit adultery, don't think in your thoughts. Paul's saying, I failed that miserably. I could not keep God's rules. Has anyone ever here feel like you can never be good enough? Honestly. That's normal. We'll never be good enough apart from the saving work of Christ. You will, on your own, you will never be good enough. You will never find righteousness that comes from the law, or in other words, from following all the rules. I remember a guy was telling me, Man, it's just so hard to be good. You know, it's like, it's like walking in fully white clothes through a swamp and you can't get dirty. That's a good analogy. You can't do it. It's impossible. And Paul says, it's impossible. He says, look, I tried. I, I, can't, I couldn't do it. So what's my only hope then? To still be able to stand before the throne of God to, and to be fully righteous. What's my hope? He says, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that, that means that righteousness, which comes through faith in Christ. And then he explains it again. The righteousness from God. Not from our own self, not from the law, but from God, which depends on faith. The only way that any one of us, guys, there is not a single human being that is righteous enough on their own. The only way we can be righteous before the throne of God that one day and not be condemned on the last day is if we have the righteousness from God which depends on faith. If we truly believe that what Jesus did for us on the cross satisfied the righteous wrath of God and God no longer holds anything against us. That's the only way, is if you live by faith, if you truly follow Jesus by faith here in this life. And if we don't have that righteousness, we will be condemned. We can never make it into eternal life. We will only have eternal death and suffering. Verse 10, going on, Paul says, that I may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Again, is Paul just some like 
crazy guy that just loves pain. Like, oh, hit me again. Hit me again. I, I, wanna, I want suffering. Yeah. No. Paul did not enjoy it. Because we, if you read the rest of what Paul writes, you realize this man was rational. This man was reasonable. Reasonable. So then, then the question is, if, if a, why does a rational and reasonable person want to share in sufferings and become like Christ in his death? Why? Answer, verse 11. That by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. He wants to be like Christ. And united with Christ in every single way possible, including his sufferings and his death, so that by any means possible, meaning in any way necessary, whatever it takes, so that I may attain, means reach the resurrection from the dead. Guys, the resurrection from the dead is the most important thing any one of us could attain. Think about your dreams and goals and hopes, the things you want in this life. I'm sorry to burst your bubble, but one day when you die, you will lose all of it. Literally everything. All relationships, all possessions, all status, if you're cool, you won't be cool anymore. Nobody's cool in a coffin. You're going to lose everything, and everyone will forget about you and move on with their lives. You will lose everything you worked so hard for. You will lose all of it and be forgotten. Nothing will survive death. And our only hope, our only hope, is that Christ will raise us from the dead when he comes back. That's literally our only hope in this life, guys. Everything else will be swallowed up by death. This dark sea that just takes everything. The only light that we have is the resurrection from the dead. And that's why Paul says, I don't care what it's going to cost. By any means possible, even suffering, I know it's going to be temporary. Because 80 years in comparison to a trillion years is as nothing. It's as nothing. So Paul joyfully, joyfully gave it all away. And he didn't look back. He didn't look back. He didn't miss it. He counted it all as garbage, as loss, because he understood that eternity with God is infinitely better than an eternity away from God, experiencing the righteous wrath of God. And I love, I'm going to close with this quote. You guys know who Jim Elliot is? He's a missionary that went to, to some tribes in South America. And he was actually uh, killed. When they landed, uh, the tribesmen thought they were some threat, and they came there with spears and they killed all, I think it was five missionaries. They killed them all. He died for the faith. He died trying to bring the gospel to people. But before he died, 
before this even trip. He said, he is no fool to give what he cannot keep in order to gain what he cannot lose. Let me say that again. He is no fool to give what he cannot keep. That's life. It's everything in this life. To gain what he cannot lose. That's eternal life. Once you have it, once you are there with Jesus, you can never lose it. There is no more death in eternity. It's just joy, joy, joy with none of the pain, none of the suffering for all of eternity. So when Jesus told people, look, you need to sell everything you have. You need to give up everything you have to follow me. Jesus was not ripping people off. Jesus was offering them the best deal in the history of the universe. He said, just sell all this little stuff that you're still going to lose. You're still going to lose it. Just, just lose it a little bit earlier. So that I can give you something so precious that you will never be able to lose. Jesus is infinitely better than anything that this life offers. No relationships, no people, no toys, no fun, no success, no status, no honor, no money, no comfort. Never can ever compare to the worth of knowing Christ himself. To the worth of knowing the Christ, the, the creator of the universe. To the worth of knowing the one who has loved us so much that he gave his own life up for us. He was laid at the altar. He was killed at the altar for us. So going back to the cost. Yes, it will cost us everything to follow Jesus. And yes, Jesus wants you to count the cost and not make a quick decision. But he is still so much better. My question to all of us, do you see that? Do you see his infinite worth do you feel it and if you don't you're like peter i have no idea what you're talking about pray and beg god to show you his worth beg god to reveal himself to you that you might see it you might love him and in your joy you'll say jesus i want nothing only so that i can have you so what do you choose today let's pray Lord Jesus, I pray for those that do not yet know you, that you would open up their eyes, that they would see you, the treasure in the field, that they would see how precious you really, really are. God, only you can do this, and I'm praying for a miracle, because it is a miracle. Show them, so that in their joy they would run and give it all up just to know you just to love you and to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Jesus, we all ask this in your precious, precious name. Amen.